This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. Hey, everyone. So I love, 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 love this conversation that I had with the amazing, human, authentic, real Andrea Butcher. If you're not familiar with her, you want to be. She is the CEO of a company called HRD. They are a leadership development company. She's got an incredible background. She also has her own podcast that you want to check out called Being at Work. And based off that podcast where she interviews leaders from all over the place, she wrote her first book recently called The Power of the Pivot, Leadership Lessons from Being at Work, her podcast, to take you from chaos to clarity. And it's really grounded theory research. She interviewed 52 different executives and found key themes that helps them pivot and just lessons that we all can use. She looks at leadership similar to us, that it has nothing to do with your title or role, and it's really about behaviors, and we all have opportunities to show up as leaders in our life. And she's just so generous in her sharing. And a couple of highlights that you're going to want to listen for. We talk about, you know, that we all are influencing around us, whether we realize it or not. And the question is, how are we influencing? How are you influencing in every interaction that you have? She also talks a lot about shifting from reacting to our life and our situations to responding. And she has a really interesting fact, which I'm not going to tell you what it is because you got to listen for it. But how many years in the future that we have to kind of fast forward to or look to where we can no longer see obstacles, where we can get past obstacle thinking? There's just such great gems. And given that this is the start of a new year, I think there's a lot that you could take from this conversation that can help you shape not just an incredible year, but an incredible life. I want to start with this because one of the things that I love, there's so much synergy between our work and we call the show, obviously show up as a leader and we look at leadership very similarly to you. So we always say that leadership is a mindset and behavior, not a title or role. And our official definition of leadership is that leadership at its core is about us maximizing our positive impact on the world by doing two things, by becoming our best fully authentic self and supporting those around us to break past barriers and step into their greatness. So that's kind of a mouthful, but I want to read what you talk about in terms of the definition of leadership and getting to your book, because I think this is a theme of everything we're going to talk about. So listen up, people. All right. You say leading through the pivots is key, and let's be clear on leadership. It is not a position or title. Your leadership is in your behavior. It is the influence of the collective choices you make every single day. And we all have the same opportunity to lead. While the context is different for all of us, the opportunity is not unique to anyone. Regardless of whether you are just starting your career, leading as an individual contributor in a large organization, leading a nonprofit committee, leading a team of people, leading a board, leading people you do not directly manage, leading your family, leading a new project or venture, you are a leader and opportunities for leadership are all around. So can I just say mic drop? I want to start with that because I always talk about formal people leaders versus leaders, because I think that that distinction is so important because I so often hear people say, well, but I'm not a leader or the leaders in this organization suck. So it becomes like a deflect and a passing the buck versus you you have an opportunity in this moment to show up and lead. What are you seeing out there? Yeah, I think people confuse management and leadership. 
which is why the work that you and I do is so important because we're clarifying for everyone, if you're influencing anything, which every single person is, you're leading and you have an opportunity to shape that based on your thoughts, based on your choices, based on how you show up, which is why I love the title of your show because we get to choose how to show up and how to lead. There's never a question of, are you making a difference? We are all influencing in some way. Not all positive, but we're influencing. Question is, what influence are you having? I mean, and that's where intentionality and focus is so important. Yeah, 100%. One of the other things that I love, just the whole title of your book, The Power of the Pivot, is we like to anchor all of our work using a borrowed acronym of VUCA, Volatile, Uncertain, Complex, and Ambiguous, because it helps give people language to the fact that we live and work in a world and lead in a world where disruption is the norm. I remember once during um, all the memes that were going around in the early days of the pandemic, and it was like, hey, when something doesn't work out, yell plot twist and like go run the other direction. <laughs> and, and I kept thinking about that as I was reading your book. And so I want to talk about how you talk about the pivot, right? And then we're going to dig into it because I think it's so critical. If we don't know how to pivot in this VUCA world, I firmly believe we're not going to get very far. So you say, remember that wherever you go, there are opportunities for leadership. And then you say, pivotal moments are all around us. They can be as insignificant as a frustration in the grocery store line or trying to get your kids out the door or as big as not getting the promotion or a challenging relationship with your boss or colleague. Regardless of their size or significance, we can always, in every single situation, go big picture, focus on the relationships and step into and stay in the hard stuff. Each of these actions is completely within our control. So talk to me about like your passion around the whole power of the pivot. And then we're going to dig in to those three themes. Well, and those three themes came from stories, which is so cool. This is not a book about what Andrea Butcher thinks. I definitely align with and agree with the themes, but the themes came from 52 stories through the Being at Work podcast, I ask every single guest, tell me about a pivotal moment in your life that taught you a lot about your leadership. And after the first year, when I look back on those stories, those three themes were so clear to me. And what I realized as I analyzed that and listened to those stories over and over, like that's where the power is. When they press into it, stay in the challenge, when they get out of the muck of what is to imagine the possibility of what could be, and when they leverage the people around them. I mean, I heard that over and over and over in the little challenges and the big challenges. Like the, I think about Karen Alter, CEO of Borshoff, diagnosed with colon cancer. I mean, that is a, an incredibly significant pivot all the way down to I didn't get the job that I wanted. At the time, felt huge, you know, looking back now, like, okay, I got that. Not nearly as significant as some of the others. But in both of those situations, they imagined a future that was different than the ickiness of what was. They leveraged the people around them, and they stayed in it. There was resilience. There was a perseverance. And I thought, gosh, if I had known all of those things earlier in my career, I probably would have stayed in some situations rather than cut and run or pretend it's not happening. Learning through the process, like that's where the power and the pivot is. So that was the passion. I wanted to take those stories, bring them to life, for leaders like me earlier in their career who perhaps will learn from it rather than leaving a tough situation. I love everything about that. And you've got phenomenal stories in the book. And 
one of the ones I have to tell you made me laugh out loud. So everyone need to go get the book. And it was early on. And you were talking about climbing a mountain with your husband. And like, you were like, it was all going astray and altitude sickness. And then at one point you're like, he told you to shake your hips. And I'm having this image of you on the side of the mountain, like doing Zumba or something. <laughs> anyway, it was, I, I howled out loud. <laughs> it's like the scene in Friends, the pivot, pivot. Where they're trying to get that couch up the stairs. It's, it was the same thing. I am on the side of a mountain and Robert's yelling at me, move your hips. And so I am like, what are you talking about? He was trying to say turn around, but it wouldn't quite come out that way. There you go, pivot. I'm going to do a little dance on the side of a mountain. and there. <laughs> I was pivoting as best I could. But besides that, there's phenomenal stories and um, they're just amazing and it brings the humanness to it. I love that it's database because this is really what grounded theory research or qualitative research is. And I'm kind of the same, like I find patterns and go, oh my gosh, I'm seeing this and I'm seeing this and I'm seeing that. So you actually gave me an idea of going back to the last question we asked, which I'm not going to spoil it because I'll ask it to you later. But like, what are all of our guests say for this? Because I'm like, hmm, I bet there's a theme. Anyway, so you gave me a good idea. So let's talk then about the key themes of how do we pivot. So let's start with going to the bigger picture. Talk about what that is and why it's so important and how we can do it. This is huge for me. Of all of the themes, I believe this one is probably the most important because it's a mindset. You were talking earlier about what's challenging about people recognizing that they're leaders. I think one of the things that gets in our way is that we live in a very reactive world where we're just reacting to the things that come into our life. And going big picture is a shift to responding to the things that are happening in our life based on what it is we want, based on the bigger picture. My coaching certification was grounded in a 10-year visioning process. I did that in 2007. And as a part of the process, I had to create a 10-year plan. So in 2007, I created what my life would look like in 2017. And at the time, I was working in a consulting business. And I loved the work, but I dreamed of having my own business that I could really shape and mold and build. I was two years divorced. And so I dreamed of the partner that I wanted, the, the kind of relationship I wanted to be in. And at the time, I had a five-year-old. And so I thought about our relationship when she's 15 and what I wanted that to look and feel like. And I wrote those things down and I was really focused on them. And so every year when I would go back to look at my 10-year plan, I would update that and I would continue to focus on those things. And so when 2017 rolled around and I looked at my life, those three things that I had put a lot of energy and focus into, that's what my life looked like. I was leading HRD. I was married to Robert, who is the partner that I described. And it's uncanny when I go back and look at the descriptors and the specificity around that. And then my relationship with my daughter at 15, very much, I think very different than had I not had that intentionality. One of the things I started doing when she was five is every single night sitting with her, saying a prayer and just giving her space, like anything you want to talk about today. And there were lots of nights when she didn't, but it created a connection that was very deep and very good. And it was because of the vision I had of our relationship. And so that's responding to life. That's going bigger picture. When something tough pops up, are we reacting based on emotions in the moment or are we responding based on our hope for what that relationship will be or that situation will look like? Because those are very different reactions. That's the power in going big picture. 
I love so many things about that. And it speaks to, obviously, we can't go big picture and get out of the muck if we haven't done the work to clarify what that is. You know, I was thinking about as I was reading the stories in your book, and I love how you put yourself in there. I don't know what it was like for you, but I know when we wrote our second book, the publishers challenged like more of you, more of you. And that was like vulnerable and scary and hard. But the process of having to like reflect and look at that was so invaluable. And I think about when we have that vision and when we think about, okay, this is who I want to be in 10 years, or this is who I want to be this year. This is how I want to show up for my kids or how I want to show up in life. Then when we're in the middle of that muck, we can hit a pause button and go, am I showing up in alignment with who I want to be? Or, you know, we're recording this at the end of 2022. It's going to come out in the new year. And I think that some people take such a big lofty approach to visioning that it doesn't do them any good. Some people stay a little too small. So walk through what are some of the key things that you found are really critical to being able to go big picture and get out of the muck? It's such a great question. And you're right. There's so much conversation around vision. A lot of people roll their eyes. I had a friend tell me recently, she's like, every time you talk about vision, I just get a little bit annoyed. <laughs> so... <laughs> You got to love the honesty. You know, and she's she's an Enneagram 6. She's very pragmatic. She's very focused on what's happening right in front of her. You know, I, I am naturally a bigger picture thinker and a visionary. And I even, over the last couple of years, I've had this realization that as a kid, I, and I still do this to this day, I put myself to sleep most nights creating stories in my head, like thinking about travels or situations or making up like fun moments that I want to have. And I've always done that. So my, so I'm, I naturally am wired, I guess, to think about the future and I get energy from that. And when I went through this coaching certification several years ago then, I mean, I think that's why it so resonated with me, right, is because it was very aligned with some of my natural ways of thinking and behaving. And one of the things I learned through that process of creating the 10-year vision is that the reason why they were challenging us to do that is because research shows it takes seven years into the future before we can no longer see obstacles. We are obstacle-oriented much of the time in our goal-setting practices. So think about weight loss. I mean, why do people set weight loss goals? Because they don't feel good about their current weight. These genes don't fit. This feels tight. So I'm going to lose five pounds. But the challenge with that then is you're setting the goal from a very icky, lack-based place. A deficit. Exactly. Yeah. Versus the future picture I have of myself, which is a very different, I mean, focusing on that helps you to get on a roll, helps you to build momentum. So I, I always use my 10-year vision when I'm setting my annual goals because it's not from a place of deficit or ickiness or I don't like what's happening. It's, no, I'm going to set this goal because I have a dream. So there's a lot more momentum. And so not surprisingly, I mean, I have a lot of confidence around the goals I set. And my experience has shown, that was 2007 since I first started doing that. So you gosh, many years now, I've been doing that practice. And the goals come to fruition because there's energy around them. It's law, right? It's the law of attraction. Of course, I'm going to accomplish those things that are important to me, that I'm passionate about, because there's energy around them. And I believe in them. That's how I think about goal setting. I love that. So I want to put a little challenge in there, which I think speaks to your third theme of stepping in and staying in the hard stuff, because 
one of the things that I've learned through some of the coaching work that I've done and been certified in is we can have all the energy in the world. We can have the best vision, the best dreams, the best goals, the best laid plans, and really truly have like oodles and abundance of motivation to want to make that goal happen. But our own humanity gets in our way and we stop short of it. And so Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy call that our psychological immunity to change. And I'll do a little side plug if people have not listened to Brene Brown's podcast episode where Lisa Leahy walks her through her own process. It's quite phenomenal. But but really it's, and I've learned this with leaders is it's like, yep, you need to have that. And I'm 100% supportive of that. And in spite of that, we can have stuff that it's like, why am I either self-sabotaging or why am I only getting so far, but this part's a sticking point for me. So whether it's a health goal or a business-related goal, more often than not, we're dealing with adaptive challenges that are messy and complex and get in our way. And so I love that you talk about how that going bigger picture is very much connected to your third principle of stepping into and staying in the hard stuff. Because if we don't lean in and look at the self-limiting underlying mindsets that, spoiler alert, like stemmed in childhood, we're not going to be able to live into that vision despite how much energy we have, despite how much motivation we have. So talk to me about how stepping in and into and staying in the hard stuff shows up for you and showed up in the stories that you heard from these 52 leaders. It's such a good point, And I so appreciate you bringing that up. The three areas of my vision that I talked about where I saw from 2007 to 2017 my relationship, the work I was doing, my relationship with my daughter, those are places that I really poured into. There were a lot of things written into that 10-year plan that didn't come to fruition for the reasons that you're describing. I'll be really vulnerable for a minute. I have struggled with my weight my entire life, and I'm so tired of it. And I was just talking to a coach a couple of days ago saying that I have no doubt because my experience has shown like where I put energy, I'm able to do really hard things. But this is a part of my life that because it is so stemmed in childhood wounds that I haven't dealt with, like I'm not going to be able to think my way out of that challenge. I'm not going to be able to just picture the body that I want. There's too much baggage there. There's 40 years of shit that I've not dealt with. So that's my example. And until you're absolutely right, until I do the really hard work, which I've started doing, I've started talking with the therapist just this year. But God, that's hard work to bring up that stuff. I very quickly can see like, oh, there's a lot trapped there. There's this 10-year-old operating system. You've heard me talk about that a bit this year. So I'm starting to do the work, Rosie. So hold me, hold me accountable. So that's what you're describing. That is pressing into the tough stuff. Right. I mean, and unless we have the courage to do that, you're right. Like we're, we're not going to see movement. hundred percent. Well, one, I, I love that you're doing the work and I will just put an offer putting this out in podcast world. I'd be happy to sit down with you and do an immunity to change map as well, because I think it's super powerful. But whether it's around weight loss or parenting or whatever, what I find is I coach a lot of really successful people and they might have a goal, for example, of they want to be more intentional and have better boundaries so they can have greater work-life harmony and they have all these important reasons or whatever. But then when they get down to it and they kind of get through the mapping process, they realize they actually attach their identity to productivity or they attach their value and worth to what they get done. Or they have this complete fear that they will become irrelevant or someone else will be the go-to person. And so that underlying hidden 
probably from stuff we learned in childhood, starts hijacking them and they don't even realize it. So they take on more projects or so they don't say no to this or they keep doing more and more and it has a cost. And there's whether it's the coaching process, whether it's therapy, whether it's a combination. I love it. You talk about, you know, our 10 year old programming, because this is one of the things that I always talk about as well. And you know, this research, but for the benefit of our listeners, it's like, whether we want to rationalize this or not, we are meaning making creatures and we make sense of our experiences and surroundings by creating narrative and creating stories. That's how we function, how we process. And so our brains kind of download this programming and we create stories around what's acceptable, what's not, when you fit in, when you don't, what's right, what's wrong, when to speak up, when to be quiet by observing our surroundings, by what we've experienced, whether we had a happy childhood or a traumatic childhood, we created these rules for ourselves in those first seven to 10 years of our life. And most of the programming that we downloaded that is still running us today is negative, is self-sabotaging and is fundamentally flawed. But we don't realize it because we think, oh, no, my adult self is in the driver's seat. <laughs> Newsflash. No, it's not. Especially when you're stressed and triggered or whatever. And so what are some other ways that you have found that people are stepping into and staying in that hard stuff? Well, it's actually leveraging the second theme. It's the people in your life. Because you're talking about the subconscious self, but it's got to feel safe. Well, for me anyways, I should say, it's, I am much more likely to let my guard down and explore when it's safe. And in relationships, like my best friend, and I have a dear friend overseas that those relationships, it is just raw. And so I can say whatever I want to say and process those things in such a real way. And what's different in a therapy relationship with friendships like that, I mean, these are people that have known me for 30 years. And so they're able to speak into my life with so much truth. And gosh, I'm getting emotional thinking about those relationships because it's just, it's invaluable. Like finding, and we talk a lot about finding your tribe, but I think a, for me, like a tribe is a, is not the level I'm talking about. Like find your people Find those people that you can be completely yourself with because the more you practice that, the more you become that person, the more you see that person. Yeah. Well, I think as we're recording this, right, the Avatar movie just came out and one of their lines is, I see you, right? So you have people who see you and will love you enough to call you on your crap and to sit with you, right? And to celebrate you and be joyful with you rather than envious of you when you're doing well and to call you on your crap when you're playing small and to sit with you when stuff is tough. And what you're talking about is what we talk about in the Dare to Lead work, your square squad, like who in a one inch by one inch square, the initials of the people whose opinions matter. And are we spending the time and energy nurturing those relationships or are we railroading over those people because we're hustling for approval and likes and whatever of people outside of that whose opinions don't really matter? And are we also equipping other people with the skills of how do you nurture a relationship? Because if you ignore that square squad, if you ignore the people that are your people, they're not going to be there or not going to be there as strongly or whatever when you need them. And that's where these like long-term relationships are so good because they're so real that I could not talk to them for a couple of weeks and have a five-minute conversation and be right back in that really safe place where it's just true. There's just truth. There's no pretense. There's no pretending. I mean, I, I can say like the worst thing, what I think might be like the worst thing in the world to say, and they know where that's coming from because they know me. That's precious. 
I'm so grateful to have that. Okay. So because the first theme, right, which is getting bigger picture is so critical and like that's what helps us get out of the muck, right? One of the things that you wrap up the book with is a four-step visioning process. Whether you don't like the word visioning, but four-step process to help you go big picture, it's a good reminder and it's something we all can do. Can you walk us through that of, of how we can do that? And a lot of it we've talked about today, you know, it starts with going out. And I always challenge leaders at least seven years because, again, there's research that shows it takes seven years to get out of obstacle thinking. And the thing, I mean, Rosie, we could even do this right now. You know, the thing that we both know in 10 years is that it'll be 2033. We know how old we will be. We know the ages of the people that we love the most and around us. And you and I both have kids. So our kids will be 10 years older. Doesn't that just immediately rock your world and shift your perspective. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, my, my son will be like legally able to drink and graduating from college. Yes, oh my God. Exactly. So here's the thing. I mean, that place exists and it is going to be here before we know it. Are we going to react our way into that? Are we going to imagine our way into that? Like we all have the ability to go out to that place and say, this is what I want that to look like. And you're right, like challenges are going to pop up and things are going to happen, but at least we have a driving force and we have a place in which we can focus. So that's step one, going out 10 years. Then saying, okay, so if that's my picture of the relationship, the work I want to be doing. Several years ago, I built into my vision that I wanted more freedom in my work. I wanted to be able to choose assignments and I can see now how that's really happening. I founded with a colleague, Kelly Lavin, I founded a business called Next Gen Talent a few years ago, and that's giving me so much energy. So I've been thinking about like in 10 years, what could that look like? And how can I lead, but also prepare others to lead that, to give myself more freedom and additional financial resources to, to travel and to speak and to do the things I want to do, right? So that's what's happening in my head when I think about the 10-year vision. So then I say, step two, what do I need to do this year in order to move myself closer to that? And so that's how I build my annual goals in all of my life. And so I lead HRD, I lead Next Gen Talent. And so I definitely have goals for those businesses, but they fit in to that 10-year plan. So they're coming from a place of imagination and possibilities. So we've got our annual goals. Step three then is to bring those goals to life. And that can happen lots of different ways. You hear clients and leaders talk about visibility of goals throughout the years, regular check-ins and talking about them. I actually like to do a visual because I'm such a visual person. So once I have my goals, I look through magazines or I look online for images that represent those things. And I'll post those on a board and put them up in my closet so that I always have a visual representation of what it is I'm working towards. And then the last step is to integrate your goals and your vision into your life by talking about them, asking other people, like, what are you looking forward to in 2023 to reinforce the goals and the vision that you have? There's a tool that we use at HRD. It's so simple. We call it the leadership focus tool. But every week at the beginning of the week, we all share our top three focus areas. And those top three focus areas are aligned with our annual goals. So it's a way to connect the dots from the big picture to what I'm doing this week and every day, my top three. It also gives me confidence to say no. It's much easier to say no to something when I have a bigger yes. The big picture vision is my yes. So I can say like, you know, that doesn't fit in to my priorities right now. 
Here's who's in a better position to help you with that. Just yesterday, I got an email from an acquaintance who wanted me to do some work with his board. And given the scope and the timing, like I very quickly said, oh my gosh, what an exciting time for you all. But I don't think I'm the right person. Here's someone who can help you with that. And it didn't take long because I filtered it through a bigger picture. I think there's such value in that, especially for people who have a hard time saying no. I think when we anchor that stuff, it does become clear. Like I know that when I've done that work for myself personally, when we've done that work for our business, it becomes much easier to know what do we say yes to? What do we say not now to? And what do we say "Mm, kind of a hard pass to? And I think if we can just take that step back and right and use your tools to start to get clearer and start practicing the things that you talk about to move with intention, it's a piece of the bigger puzzle, but it's a huge piece because it provides that calm and clarity rather than swirl and reactivity. It does. And it's so personal, isn't it? I mean, one thing that's really important for me to say is that, and I stress this in the book, is that these are systems that I've created over a long time that work for me. Like they may or may not work for you or for anyone else. I'm sharing them in the spirit of, see if there's something here that resonates with you and try it on. My friend, she's one of my very best friends, the one that told me recently that she would get a little bit annoyed. Well, she read the book and she said, it's really interesting, Andrea, because you talk about vision every year around this time. And I've always been like, oh gosh, and I've rolled my eyes. And But for whatever right now in my life, for the first time, she said, I feel compelled to write down a 10-year plan. And I just never have. And so it was a reminder for me that it's you know, we got to meet everyone where they are, right? And this work is so personal. And so share the things that work for you, but also with a lot of openness around. Because I I, I have gotten myself in the past, I've gotten myself hung up when like, oh, they don't like that. Or no, it's just they're living their life, doing the best they can. And it may or may not fit in to their life right now. I had a guest on my podcast in the early seasons that talked about, you know, when our cognitive load is too much, we can't take on anything new or process anything new, right? And I think that cognitive load is different for everybody. And so it may just be that it's like they can't even take it in. You may not even be planting a seed like they've heard it, but it's like Teflon. It just bounces off of them. And then at some other point when their cognitive load isn't as much or they're just in a different spot in their life, they can hear it differently. And you know, it reminds me of is we have some core tools that we use all the time. Like I've been using them for 15, 20 years in, in coaching and workshop. And you, you, I think you get to a point when you're so used to something you think, isn't this old news by now? Right. But you use them because they work. And I've been doing sessions lately with some of our clients and there's leaders in there, formal people, leaders who like have been through other programs where like, this is probably now the fourth time they've been exposed to some of these tools. And so what I say to them is, I know some of you in here have gone through this before and our world is fundamentally different than the last time you went through this or you're in a different spot and so see what comes up for you. And every single time, it's like reading a book for the second time or watching a movie for the second time, you catch different things. And I think there's some power in going back to some of these basic but powerful tools and revisiting them and be open to maybe you're in a different spot and it might resonate now. Absolutely. Oh, love it. Love it. Love it. Such good stuff. And the other thing that I just have to say and why, like what other of the gajillion reasons why people need to read your book is love all the different stories and what, you know, you talk about resiliency. And I think that when times are tough, we sometimes forget how resourceful and strong we are. And we forget that we've gotten through hard crap before and that sometimes we're stronger than we think. But when we're in the middle of it, it's hard for us 
to see that. And you had so many great stories. And what was coming up for me is early on in the pandemic. So I'm like, I'm a huge Sean T workout junkie from Beachbody. Like I've done his insanity. But anyway, so he started during the pandemic, this like these workout challenges where he literally took the hardest of like all of his programs and put them together in a calendar and then would add on like, after you've done that, do 200 pushups. Okay. The next day after you've done that, do hundred jump squats. It was like evil in like the most awesomely evil way. And during that, he kept saying, you can do hard shit. And so when I like face stuff, even like recently, and I'm like, I literally, I'm like, I hear Shanti's voice and I'm like, Rosie, you can do hard shit. You've gotten through this before. And so I think sometimes reminding ourselves of Chris and Hadid talks about having a resilience resume, like of all the times you've fallen down and gotten back up and keep track of that so that when you're in the muck, you have a way to go, I've gotten through hard stuff before. And oh, here's my example. Exactly. I mean, you just described that staying in the hard things because of a bigger picture focus. They go hand in hand, don't they? They do. So speaking of staying in the hard things, one of the things that I am also obsessed with, as you know, is normalizing this messiness of being human and that no matter how enlightened we are and how many tools that we have in our disposal, that our 10-year-old self can hijack us and that self-limiting story can take over. So Andrea, I would love it if you would share what is a self-limiting story that you still tell yourself despite all the work that you've done on yourself. And when it shows up, how do you move beyond it so you can still show up as a leader? You know, it's I'm not whatever enough, fill in the blank. I'm not thin enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. And it holds me back from sharing my gifts. And that's why I am so committed to continuing to work on myself and press past those beliefs when they pop up. I'm working really hard to pay attention to them so that I can catch them quickly because there are times when I don't and I spiral and get into a really negative headspace. And then I don't show up in the way that I want to. I lash out. I hold back all of the things that keep me from being who I want to be as a leader and loving the people in my life that I want to love. Well, as I regularly say to my clients, congratulate yourself on being human. <laughs> yeah. God, mm-hmm. gotta love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you ready for quick questions? Oh, I love quick questions. All right. Here we go. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is? Just figuring out who I am and being more of that. Man, if everyone did that. I might not have a job, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Be good. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? Do it anyways. All right. I know you're a pretty open book, but what is something people would be surprised to know about you? That I doubt myself many times every single day. I worry about being a good mom. I worry about, am I doing enough for my team? Am I doing enough for my business? Am I doing enough? Which kind of feeds back into that self-limiting story, right? (laughs) Yep. All right. A little more fun. What's your favorite go-to movie? Love Actually. Oh, my gosh. I I saw it in Times Square in 2003 at such an important time in my life. And so the movie moves me. I feel it when I watch it because I'm immediately transposed back to that time when I was going through so much, feeling so much love and so much fear and so much worry. And so that movie just brings up all of that. Love it. Okay. What's your go-to song? 
Oh, Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes. And it's so funny. I just podcasted about this song. So the chorus, all my instincts, they return. The grand facade so soon will burn. Without a noise, without my pride, I reach out from the inside. Oh, no. So good. I love it. I'm such a music freak. So love it. Love it. Okay. What's something you can't live without? Oh, love. Love. Feel, feeling love from people. Absolutely. What's something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? My puppy, who's been here with me the entire time. Danny Mac is my best friend. I love him so much. We thought we were getting a mini Bernadoodle, but I've dropped the mini because he's 70 pounds. So he's not a mini. I love it. And last but not least for quick questions, what are you grateful for right now? Right now in this moment, Rosie Ward, I'm so grateful for you because you care so much about the work that you do and it is, it is life-changing work. And I know that both of us have such an abundance mentality around this work because we believe everyone needs a coach, needs people in their life, lifting them up and encouraging them. So thank you for doing this hard work. It makes such a difference. Right back at you, like, oh, my heart, my heart is so full. This is just like, you are my last podcast recording for the year. And it's just, oh, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. So we have a closing question. Andrea, if you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone to show up as a leader, what would that be? Ask more questions. Seek to understand. Everyone is walking around as the lead character in their own stories. Everyone has stuff and doubt and shit they're carrying. And so just taking time to say, how are you? How are you really? And giving space for that. Imagine if all leaders did that, just the connections that we would create as a result. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com. And of course, hit that follow button.